Good day to you, and welcome to the podcast for the Union Street Meeting House. In this podcast, we will be sharing messages from our weekly worship services. Union Street Meeting House is a Christian ministry that introduces people of all ages to Jesus Christ and recalls those who once knew Him back into an intimate, vibrant, living relationship with Him. We are a house for Christian fellowship and personal growth. You are always welcome here at Union Street Meeting House. Let's go into this week's message right now. I love to worship. A friend of mine recently sent me a, a text, though, and says we have to be cautious that, that we don't love to worship more than the one we are worshiping. I've seen that with churches. That people say, oh, I love my church. I love my church. And I feel, like, I feel like if that church closed, they'd be like totally lost. It ought not be that way. Our love is the Father. Our love is the Son. Our love is Holy Spirit. And that's our focus. And, um, you know, <clears throat> we talked about it last night. I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But it's just easy to get in a rut in a church. I mean, it just really is. It's easy to get rut in ruts in our lives if we're not careful. How many of you know God wants to shake things up a little bit? Amen. Amen. So if you've been around the past several weeks, you know we've been talking about being the salt and the light. Uh, we have looked at culture versus covenant. We've discussed those things a bit. Um, we've discussed about determining our purpose. Uh, are we a people of the culture or are we a people of the covenant? Um, I largely think, and, and I'm probably no exception to this, we seem to have one foot in the culture and one foot in, foot in the covenant. And, and sometimes it's just a mix-up, and, and God just wants more. He, he wants us to not be on the fence. Um, you know, they say, well, on average, I'm good. Well, if you have one foot on ice cube and one foot in a fire, how many of you know that's not good? <laughs> and so on average is not good. God wants us heated and worshiping. Amen? So we're part of the new covenant. Uh, here on Saturday nights at the Orchard, Pastor Carl's been teaching out of the book of Ephesians. Last night in particular, uh, he talked about Paul and his suffering for the gospel's sake, but also did a wonderful job encouraging us that in the midst of suffering, God is doing marvelous things, okay? We cannot see it. Paul is in prison. God is do mar doing marvelous things. He shared that his belief, now this is Pastor Carl, his belief is that even though the denominal, denominational churches may be shrinking that the worldwide church, the true believers of Jesus Christ, is growing. He made a statement, and I'm sure he could back it up, that today in church, in the world, there will be more people in church today than ever before in history. Now, we tend to not think like that because we know that the church, listen, the, the church is like in its... Uh, uh, ninth round sometimes with Muhammad Ali, okay? We're, we're like, we're wheeling. We don't really know. I mean, that's how we, that's how we do. I'm, you could say, well, that just offends me, Tim. I'm on fire for the Lord. I say, praise God. But you're, you're one of few. The majority of folks sitting in pews in this country, in, in the church pews in this country this morning, are lukewarm at best. It's just what we've become in this nation. And it's showing on what's happening. So even though the denominational churches may be shrinking, the worldwide church is growing and that God is doing marvelous things throughout the world. I know Harold Eberly uh, tells of a story. Uh, he's in Africa. They're driving down the road in like an open Jeep and they've just come from a tent revival and people have given their life to Christ and they're on fire for Jesus and there's a new pastor there and they see a boy in the ditch, which was not apparently uncommon, and he was dead. Now, he tells this story. I have no reason not to believe him, that the, the new pastor, not knowing any different or any better, says, stop the Jeep, stop the Jeep, jumps out and gets on the boy, has flies all in his eyes and the whole nine yards, his body is even swollen, and begins to lay on him and pray on him and lay hands on him, and he comes to life. Now, Harold Eberly tells that story. I have no reason to believe that that's not true. And it breaks his heart because he comes home to America where he lives and he sees a church that's just satisfied. We're satisfied. 
really, we've, we've got it good. We really do in America. We have it well. In fact, sometimes that's our Achilles heel. I would say most of the time it is because we have it so good. We don't have that dependence on God. And so, Pastor Carl even said, including the birthing and growing of independent churches, we're seeing even in this nation, there is a shaking and a moving going on. And you witness that. Um, uh, not, that, not, that, not that all the music is just great and all this kind of thing. And I know we have a local radio station and we support it personally and, and are behind it 100%. But music's not the end all. But, but, but how many of you are seeing the videos of some of the new songs where you're seeing the young people worshiping? God is shaking. God is doing something. He is going to change this nation. And he's going to use our young people to do it. So um, he even... He even complimented us here at Union Street to, that we stepped out. And I don't boast about that because it's the Lord's work, but there's a team here. And I have the luxury of standing up here in front of you most of the time, and that's wonderful. But there's a team here. Just like this morning, we didn't have the church unlocked because the team member's out, you know? So our team is wanting to do the Lord's work in this new movement. I wholeheartedly agree with him. I believe God is going to wake up his church in America and we are going to be blessed to be part of that next great awakening that God is about to do. Now, I don't have a prophetic word to that. I want you to hear my heart. I just believe that. If God gave me a prophetic word about that, I would tell you that. But I believe it. I believe that he desires to see this country awakened again to him and serving him. And I believe we're in a time where it's not going to be too much longer because the kids just don't know who Jesus is. Listen, it isn't that they don't believe in Jesus. They just don't believe in anything. But that is a great field of harvest. Okay? So, having said that, I believe He is preparing us for both the hard times to come, but also the reward for being faithful. Um, when, when Pastor Bill and I talk about things going on here locally, we know that this church at best is probably, if you had 100 people in here, it'd probably be too many, okay? We, we have no misgivings about that. I'm not saying the Lord can do whatever he wants. We might have 10 services with 30 people. It doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't matter, okay? However, what we do want is we want to, and, and from his training, we want to raise up leaders. We want to get past this to where uh, you folks are just content. Really, I mean, I know this is kind of a strong word, but we want to get past that. Uh, we want this to be a true equipping, not in a sense that we're somehow high and mighty and we're going to teach you how to do things so that you can do things better. No, that's the Holy Spirit's job, okay? But the Bible does commission us at some level to equip you, to try to find a way to make it happen. And we do not have all the answers here at Union Street for that, but we want to walk into that, and we want God to show us that way as we go. Can somebody say amen? Okay? So I believe that God is changing the model of the church in, a, in an attempt to prepare us and equip us to move into the next season of ministry or serving, if you want to call it that, um, and that the way we grew up in church is going to change. It, it will look different. It will be different. Uh, it's moving away from the single pastor model and it's returning to somewhat of an apostolic model. Uh, it's where God will indeed utilize a five-fold ministry. And so I need to share with you as I stand here today, I don't have total clarity on that. I would love, uh, maybe I'm getting myself fired on today. I'm not sure, but it's okay. God sends somebody, it doesn't matter. But I will tell you this, we want to walk in a five-fold ministry here. We want... We want the body to be at work, not a pastor. Uh, and we believe that's God's way, that Jesus himself, when he ascended into heaven, gave us this, these gifts, and he has every expectation that we are to be the church, if we are to be the church, that we must learn to operate in the fivefold ministry. Now, if you don't know what they are, it's in Ephesians 4, and it's apostle, it's the prof prophet, prophetic, it's evangelistic, it's a pastor and it's a teacher. And it's those models. And the reality of it is, and Pastor Carl talked about this last night, we're in total agreement on this, that the, 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 the teachers have been running the roost. And the church has become academic. Are you hearing me? Okay? 
I don't know where this is coming from. So if, it, if I'm out of line, just bless me and, and come back next week, okay? But the church has become academic. We, 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 we grow up, listen, <laughs> man. We grow up in classrooms and we move, we get to the next grade and we move there and we get to the next grade and we move there and we're sitting at our little tables and we're trained and we're programmed that whoever's there up front is going to teach and feed us. Thank you. And so we come to church and we, we go to Sunday school and we children's church and we're you know, from nursery right on up and somebody's going to feed us. No, that's not the new model. You need to get ready. God's shaking things up. He's changing the model. It's a co-laboring model. Uh, we are designed to co-labor in this ministry. Can I share with you too, while I'm being totally transparent this morning, that that's hard for me. Uh, I'm a, uh, a large and in charge kind of guy. It's just the way I'm made. But God's got to pick me up by the scruff every once in a while and he's got to set me over here and say, no, that's not how I want to do it. And I think he needs to do that with some of you folks. He don't want to do it that way anymore. You need to be praying and thinking and asking God what he wants you to do in the new model, in the new way. You say, well, Tim, why is it you think you have a handle on the new way? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I know about 12 years ago, I believe that God ministered to several people in this county that I don't know what's going on, but what's going on is not good. And in the words of my kids, and I, I'll share this, uh, uh, they, and I've shared this before, they said, hey, my parents did church well, but they didn't do life well. How many of you know that's not okay? How about if we do life well and church is just a byproduct? That's just who we are. We're co-laboring. More on that in the future. We'll, we'll be talking about that more. And honestly, we're just trying to walk in it and ask God to reveal to us what that looks like as we move forward. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to hold on to the old. Now, I'm not saying throw away traditions and everything. That's not what this is about. There's some good stuff, but there's some bad stuff and it needs to go and we need to make changes. Okay. For now, I believe that God is showing and teaching us through his word that our walk should look like and even what we can, ex um, and even what we can expect as we walk out our ministry. I think he's trying to show us that. I think the examples in the Bible that he certainly has me uh, drawn to are examples for us on our living, okay? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. What's neat about it is I have people come to me and say, wow, I heard so-and-so say something very similar or something very similar. I know last Sunday there was things here said and Pastor Carl comes here the following Saturday and says things and man, my head gets pretty big because I think, oh God, isn't that good? He's saying the same thing we're saying on Sunday mornings. It's a good thing. So I want us to see several things as we look at this passage today, okay? I want you to notice that there is opposition to the Word of God. I want you to notice that in this scripture, we're going to read it, that there is opposition, okay? Again, we live in a very soft culture. We do not want opposition. Oh, you're offending me. What you're saying is offending me. I mean, how many times are we hearing this stuff? But I want you to know that the gospel has an opposition, Satan wants to destroy anything with, determined with the gospel. He's first coming after families. And he's doing that through the moms. There's no doubt about it. But we have an opposition. And I want you to notice when we read this today, there is an opposition to the word of God, to the spreading of God's word. I also want you to notice that God, or specifically, that the Holy Spirit gives boldness. It gives boldness. And I want you to notice that in our faithfulness, in your faithfulness, in Paul's faithfulness, our God does marvelous things. Okay, you say, well, I've seen many marvelous things. Well, this, this, this could be a reason. And the common denominator is not God. Okay? And I want you to notice that there is also persecution and suffering. Persecution and suffering. And we talked about suffering and, you know, we come up in an age where nobody wants, nobody, we don't see nobody suffer. Listen, no, nobody wants to see anybody suffer. Please do not hear that out of me. But I will tell you 
We're sending people to an early grave because we're worried about their suffering. And that's not good. God works in suffering. I understand it. I'm sorry that we have to go through it. But we need to walk through it and in it and get to the other side of it and we'll see what God does. Do you think, do you think as it was said this morning, that, that he, he makes, you know, what the enemy had intended for evil, God turns to good, the story of Joseph, when he's down in a pit, do you think he's suffering? I mean, imagine the boy is weeping his head off, his brother's attempting to kill him, then they throw him in a pit, and then they sell him into slavery. Is he suffering? I would think. Or, or would he be just like, oh man, go oh, enjoy me, boys, throw me back in that pit, I love it down there. Okay? So I want you to notice there's persecution and suffering. Let's read Acts 14, 1 through 23. And I'll, I'll mess some of these names up, I'm sure. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and bittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly, with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lysonia, Lystra, and Derb, and the surrounding region. Verse 7, and there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men! Why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derm. After that, had, after they had preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed and fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that your word will pierce our heart this morning, that we're not here for fun, we're not here for games. We enjoy being here, but God, we want to hear from you, that this is the meeting house, and we want to meet and hear from you, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would help us be prepared for the work that you've laid at our hands. So God, bless every individual in here. Give them ears to hear, eyes to see your word, and speak to their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, how many of you know that it's good to know that where you've been so that you know that where you're going um, and you're headed to somewhere else, that you'll be able to tell the difference from where you've been from where you're going? And that sounds like something Festus would say on Gunsmoke. 
But you need to know where you've been to know where you're going. You have to understand what's going on in your life and what's gone on in your past. And Cyril did a wonderful job again of explaining that these things that happen to us may be terrible. Certainly not all God's will, but God will use them for good. But we have to know where we've been and we have to know where we're going. Okay? Let's see where Paul was so we can better understand where he is. Turn back a chapter to chapter 13 real quick. Okay? And as we read this, I just want to uh, uh, set the stage for you. Paul, in his journey, has arrived at Pisidian Antioch. So he's arrived at a specific place in Antioch, okay? And he is teaching in the synagogues, and he's laying out the message of Jesus as the Messiah. Listen, Paul fully understands that God's message is to go to the entire world. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He has no misgivings for that. He always goes to the city and starts in the synagogue. He is a priest. He is welcome. They have no idea, unless they've heard about him, what he's really going to teach and say. But as long as they'll permit him, he will be in the synagogues and he will be teaching Jews. Okay? You with me? Pisidian Antioch is a Roman colony that has a very large Jewish population. So Paul is mainly speaking to the Jews. He is teaching in the synagogues and he's laying out the message that Jesus is the Messiah. Now that's not a welcome message to the Jews, but we'll see. Some do receive it. Let's start reading in verse 38. So Acts 13 and 38. We'll read through 52. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren. Now, again, I set the stage for what's been going on. And, and Paul and Peter and all these guys, Stephen, when he's getting stoned, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and they lay out the whole scripture in a nutshell. We see it in Hebrews. And he talks like, hey, this happened in Genesis and this was with Abraham. And then right on down the line to Isaac. And then boom, here we go. And now we're to Jesus. And Paul's already done that with the Jews. And so we pick it up in 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, meaning Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. It's a new word to the Jews. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. And then he quotes Isaiah and Habakkuk. And he says, Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. I believe that's a word for us today. I believe that's a word for our nation. I'm going to read it again. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish. It's a hard word. For I am accomplishing the Lord. I am accomplishing a work in your days. A work which you will never believe. Though someone should describe it to you. And we describe it to this generation. And they do not receive it. As Paul and Barnabas were going out. The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. So they have some popularity here. Verse 43. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking to them and were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, the next Sabbath nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light. We're talking about salt and light, folks. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many has been appointed to eternal life, so those that were saved believed. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Listen, 
the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to chapter 14 and continue. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. And so therefore, they spent a long time there. Listen, I want you to jump from the end of, uh, end of verse 1 to verse 3. Verse 2 is kind of just, just an, an ad in there to kind of let you know what's going on. But when he says, therefore, he's talking about that a large number of people believe both the Jews and the Greeks. That's in verse 1. And then jump to verse 3. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. I want to stop there. We don't look for signs and wonders, but we love them when they come. Somebody should say amen. We're not a church that's seeking signs and wonders, but we desire to have them. But there's a place that God, He is, he is God. If there is a gift, there is a gift giver. And it's up to the giver. Listen, when, when Christmas comes, we give to the kids. We're the giver. We're deciding what they want. They make their requests known of what toys or whatever they might want, what items they would like to have. And sometimes we fulfill them and sometimes we don't. Why? Because we're the gift giver. That's our privilege. God has all the gifts for us, but he is the gift giver. You follow what I'm saying here? So when you see that gifts might be working here or there or there or in Africa or in Brazil and it's not here, then the gift giver understands what he's doing. He's not caught off guard, okay? All right, stay with me now. Get some more coffee in here. But the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers, to mistreat them and to stone them. They became aware of it and they fled those cities and they ended up at Lystra, verse 8. Now this is where I want to take you this morning. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from the mother's womb and had never had walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and seen that he had faith to be made well, he said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up. I did that to wake you up. And he leaped up and he began to walk. Now I want you to see something here. Paul is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has all of heaven on his side. Period. When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have all of heaven on your side. You're not alone in this thing. The gifts come. And it's said back over here, in verse 3, that the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hand. The gift giver was giving signs and wonders to Paul because of the grace that he had given to Paul because Paul is on a mission. He is preaching the gospel. He is living his life out for God. You want to see more fruit in your life? Live it out for God. And the man was sitting and had no strength in his feet and he was listening to Paul as he spoke. Listen, we already read over here that some listen and some don't. Some believe and some don't. Get over it. We don't have to worry about that. You're to share the gospel in season and out. And as you share it, some will believe and some won't. That mean you doesn't mean you have to be enemies with those who don't. We'll talk about seed and watering in a few minutes if we don't run out of time. But I will tell you that your job is to minister, to spread the gospel. And he said with a, and when he fixed his gaze on him, and that's the other thing that strikes me. There's a couple of three places in the Bible where this happens. And it talks about even when the beggar is at the gate beautiful and, and Peter and John walk by him and they fix their gaze on him. They see him. They're looking intently. They're aware of what's going on. When we're looking at people, I had a, we had a waitress the other night and I know she had a little bit of, a, of an autism of some sort. Not enough to not be functional, but she wouldn't look, look us in the eye. Just some, some, some like that. I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, we need to look people in the eye. It's time that we start looking people in the eye 
because as they say, the eyes are the window of the heart and you see things. But when you have the gift of discernment, Paul sees because here's what he says. He said he had seen that the man had faith to be made well. Jesus himself talks about in Nazareth that the people had no faith and he leaves. He has discernment on that. He has discernment on those who do believe. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. It goes on then to say that they begin to accuse them of being gods. I think that's also another thing that God does. If your humility can't stand the fact that he blesses you, I think God withholds blessings. You say, well, I don't know. Is that true, Tim? Listen, can I say that's what I think? You, you check it out. But God's not into boasting. He talks about us having a humility, a, a humble heart, not a proud heart. And so now we're seeing that Paul and Barnabas are upset that these guys are saying they're gods. Listen, listen, I'm just going to say it flat out. I think you all know pretty much where I stand on politics. And I love, I love some things that went on. But Donald Trump, if somebody said he was a god, man, he, he would have been like, yeah, where, where, where's, my, where's my throne and where's my scepter? And I like Donald Trump, okay? I just want to make it clear. It's on the radio. Hey, I like Donald Trump. But man has a problem when he finds out that he is lifted or raised above others. It's called pride. And it gets into them. But not Paul and Barnabas. They're upset over this. Oh, man, can you imagine? Somebody said to me, hey, we're going to go kill some, some beef and we're going to have prime rib tonight because you're a god. I say, well, yes, I am. No, I, I hope that I wouldn't. But you get the picture. That's what we would do. But Paul and Barnabas are upset, and they put a stop to this. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. Verse 14, but when the apostle, uh, apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out in the crowd crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. Listen. There's not a pastor in the world that's not of the same nature as you. There is no one elevated but Christ. He is the head. Jesus was the only perfect one. Paul, in all of his missions and everything that he accomplished, is telling you this morning that you're the same as him. That you have available to you what he has available and had available to him. We are also men of the same nature as you, but here's the key, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from those vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and everything in it. Remember in chapter 13, Paul says, the Lord has commanded us saying, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And I know that's for Paul. I know that was a specific word for him. I'm not foolish about that. But I also know that we have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the same Jesus Christ, the same God that Paul has. And I challenge you this morning that God has placed you as a light to the world that you may participate in bringing salvation to the entire world. And families, moms and dads, our first field is our family, is our children, and our children's children. And we need to be praying over them like there is no tomorrow. At the beginning of this message, I shared with you to look for several things as we read it. Number one, when you bring forth the gospel message, there will be opposition. Get used to it and get over it. Even when Jesus himself spoke, some believed and some didn't. There will always be an opposition to God's people and God's word. It's just settle it. Just be done with it. There is a huge opposition in this nation to anyone who wants to bring prayer into a school or wants to bring the Ten Commandments into a courthouse or wants to even be on the... Uh, the lawn of the White House talking about Jesus. 
Number two, when sharing and living the gospel, you will need boldness. There is only one true source of that boldness, and that is the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4.31, it says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll share with you this morning that I know that, but I don't always know how to do that. I know that Pastor Bill's heart has been the Holy Spirit is the, the missing link that the church has for its operation. And I believe that and I know that. But we must become a people who are led and indeed filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to have boldness, uh, well, let's put it this way. I wrote this down. You say, well, I'm just not that bold. And a lot of you would say that. Well, I say, if you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be. You can't help it. Now, it may not be shouting in the street. Again, we're talking, we'll talk about seed and water here in a minute. But we are to boldly share the gospel. And that can just be in your life and what you're doing. doesn't mean you have to be, listen, boldness is not boisterousness. Okay? Number three. When you are obedient and faithful to your calling or your mission, God will do marvelous things. Paul is full of the Holy Spirit. He is speaking boldly, sharing the gospel. He sees a man sitting there with no strength in his feet from his birth. And the scripture says he was listening to Paul as Paul spoke. Paul was fulfilling the mission. And if you read back further, they were commissioned to go, and they were sent by the Holy Spirit. And now he's walking in that, and he's fulfilling that. And God, by his grace, is granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, I want to share with you that he even will work with us when our intention is good, but our good sense is not. And we see that a little bit here. I don't know. We don't always know what's going on here and what this is all about. But we know this. We're going to be faithful to it. As long as we believe that God said do this, we're going to do this. And we're going to be faithful to it. And that's how you need to be with your ministry and with your walk in your life. Paul fixed his eyes on him and saw that he had the faith. We need to start fixing our eyes on folks and seeing if they have the faith. And if they do, we need to give them what we have. I tell a story of a men's group uh, was in several years ago and we were studying the book of John and it, it was glorious. I don't know what was going on. I can't, I can't tell you. You know, if you've been around long enough, you know that you have seasons in your life. If you're on a plateau and on the high mark the whole time, well, bless you. Come tell me how you do it because I haven't figured it out. I'm a roller coaster of love, okay? And I'm telling you, I don't know, but I know this. That particular men's meeting, we were in the book of John and the group of men there were of a kindred spirit and they were of a like mind and we were around that and, and it was glorious. And one day, one fella was sitting in there and this thing came over me. Now listen, you're, never trying to pur you're not trying to purposely offend anybody, but I, I caught his gaze and I looked him straight in the eye and I said, God will not be mocked. You need to stop what you're doing right now and change your heart. Oh my gosh, I was like, where did that come from? And what have I just said to this man that I didn't know that well? The whole place got quiet. Somehow we figured out how to move on. We got past it. And I thought, Lord, what was that all about? Was that your word? I believe it was. We didn't see the guy for a week or two. I thought, well, that settled that. Pretty much set him on his way. About three weeks later, he came back before the group and he confessed and he was sorry. He'd been on drugs, but he had been faking his walk with Christ and he was in deep need. He was in deep need of getting off the drugs. He ended up going to rehab. He ended up walking with the Lord. Now, he moved out of this area, so I really don't know how he's doing now. This has been 12, 15 years ago. But I know this. 
I know that it was the Spirit of God that when I fixed my gaze on him, however that came about, that God used that to speak and minister to that man. And that same fix and gaze, you all have the capability of and the ability for it because you have the Holy Spirit in you and you can see things that others can't see. It's just how it works. Somebody say, oh, me or amen. If you are faithful, God will show up big on your behalf. He will confirm your ministry, whatever it is. We've talked about that here. Uh, we're not sanctioning a lot of ministries. We're supporting them. You understand what I'm saying? Do you have a ministry on your heart? You want to go fly airplanes over Texas? I don't know what it is. Drop bro brochures out, whatever. We'll figure out how to get fuel in your plane. Okay? That's, that's our mission. We want to support you. Number four. There will always be persecution. There will always be suffering. Listen, we, we want to put ourselves in a cocoon. In fact, we will run from it, from persecution and suffering. Um, Paul says, for this reason I am a prisoner. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm going to read those words, and I want you to ask yourself, do I want these words in my life? Do I want this affirmation from God in my life? Would you love endurance today? Would you love better character? Nobody volunteered. I would. Would you like to have more hope? Would you like to have your shame removed? And God's love in your life, He's poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit because it has been given to us. In other words, suffering doesn't put Paul to shame. It actually confirms that he has the love in him given by the Holy Spirit and confirms his ministry. Suffering does not bring us shame when that time may come, but it does the same thing. It actually confirms that we have the love of Christ in us and it's confirmed that we have the Holy Spirit. Acts 14, 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Imagine this. Now look, I'm telling you, we sit here and we read this and we can't relate to it. What's, oh, wait, let me let's start all over. Raise your hand if you've been stoned in here. You, you see what I'm saying? We can't even relate. The man is having stones. Now we're not talking about what we call number 57s, you know. We're talking about stones that they can probably barely get in their hands, softball-sized stuff that they're tossing at him because they want to kill him. And they suppose him dead. They drag him out of the city. He's probably unconscious. At least he's unconscious because they think he's dead. For all we know, he is dead and God brings him back to life. We really don't know, but I'm not going to put that in there, but it's not beyond our God. Would you agree? Went over the crowds, they dragged him out of the city, city, supposing him to be dead. They stoned him. He was suffering for Christ. Then look at verse 20. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. Are you kidding me? The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derb. Or Derby, however you want to say it. I think it's Derb. Isn't that crazy? The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derb. Is it? Thank you, Pastor Bill. I did not know that. You're going to get stoned? You're going to get up the next day? You're going to walk 20 miles? You think there's something to do with the Holy Spirit and his body? Oh, my Lord. Are you hearing me, church? We ain't been stoned. Somebody might fuss, somebody might complain, or somebody might want to grumble that you're sharing or you're preaching or you're praying for someone. Been praying for people somewhere and somebody walk by and have a smart remark. 
And, and yeah, quickly you just, oh, oh my gosh, maybe I offended somebody. What, really? We're going to be persecuted. Paul says through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It is my opinion that we are going to experience some difficult times over the next several years. Not just political or economical, as we've seen. I think we're going to get into some economical hard times. That's, I'm not saying I'm prophetic. I'm just saying it just, there's, there's times when it can only go so far. But spiritually, we will experience persecution and suffering all the more in this nation. There's no two ways about it. it the, the scales are tipped against the fact that there are people now who are in charge who hate Christians. They don't just dislike them, they hate them. I didn't say all this to bring you gloom and doom this morning. I say this because I believe God is preparing His church for the next season and He wants to train you and equip you and prepare you for what is coming. He wants you to have the answers before the questions are asked. And here's our position. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have the faith to the preserving of the soul. Our position is this. Thanks be to God who leads us into triumph. That's who we are. I talked a little bit, and I'm going to take another couple minutes here. We have a family reunion today, and I've, I've got to exit right at noon. I apologize, I can't stay. But I want to say this to you. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing to the Corinthians because they're struggling with who's on first. They're struggling with who's the right pastor, who's the right teacher. And they have this issue with Apollos. And they have this is issue with Paul. And he said, ho, 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 wait up. We're all the same. One waters, one, one sows and one waters. You guys know the scripture? Raise your hand. You do now. Raise your hand. It's okay. You're awake. Raise your hand. That's good. We recently had a little bit of, of grass sown around our yard where we had a sidewalk put in. And I will just tell you, Pam and I are pretty much on a flat-out run all the time. We're really not home much. And, and I'm thinking to myself, man, how am I going to keep this grass watered? But to my delight, I came home, and the, and the guy who sowed the grass, he set up these sprinklers, and he ran them to the, to the nozzle there, and they are all spread out on different hoses, and he got a timer on it, and the sprinkler just goes. And I'm like, praise God. God is good. But after three or four days, I noticed that there's about seven foot over here of a dry spot that's not getting the water. I want you to hear me. The seed is sown. It's laying there. The water's not getting to that. Now, me being slow on the uptake a little bit, like I said, it was three or four days before I noticed that nothing was going on. So I've been out there trying to hand water that part because the sprinkler can't get to it. And I still can't hand water it to keep up with the sprinkler, but I'm starting to hand water it, and that's good. Well, how many of you know that the grass over here is already sprouted up and coming up and that this is just seed over here, okay? And I believe God witnessed to me and said, that's my church, Tim. The seeds in this nation have been planted. The problem is the church won't water. How many of you know, listen, uh, it, Mark's not here this morning, but if you're a farmer, boy, if you don't have irrigation sometimes in the summer here with your corn, you're in trouble. Right? You know that in your gardens. You ain't watering your garden, you're not going to have a crop. I'm telling you right now, and it was as clear to me as anything that he showed me that the grass that got watered, and water takes longer. Listen, the seed, I'm telling you, the ground got roughed up and it got seeded in a half a day, let's say. Done. Seeds planted. The evangelist came, he planted the seed. It's all there church hasn't watered it. The watering takes longer. The watering takes days. Timers on and off, on and off, on and off. Don't get too wet. Don't want to flood it out. You know, it's got to, you got to set real good. I'm, I'm just tickled to death. We have some seed coming up. Some grass coming up. Are you hearing my heart? Church has lost its ability to water. I, you can tell I'm excited. I'm spitting everywhere. The church has lost its ability to water. We want everybody else to do everything for us. 
Your job is to water, whether it be your neighbor, your kids, your coworker. And you know, the watering's different than the seed. Watering's a different application. I'm not going to go into it because we're out of time, but you know it. Think in your head for a moment. There's grass seed sitting on the ground. It's watered. It produces grass. There's grass seed sitting five foot away with no water producing nothing. And if I didn't put water on it now to die, and I may even be too late. Are you hearing my heart? Our job of the church is to water, seed and water. But you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not going to go out in the middle of the street. Well, that's okay. I'm telling you, it's, it, the evangelism is happening. It will happen. Our job is to water, to be bold in water. That's share the word, share a meal, buy tires for somebody who can't afford it on their car, pay their electric bill, uh, minister to them, pray for them, be there for them, water them. Somebody say amen. Can I stop preaching? Yes, I'll confirm it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I pray that each of us would want to water the seed that you have already planted, God. Some of us are called to evangelism in, in a way that we will plant seed, and some of us are called to maybe be the waterer who, who applies the love and the care and, the, and to make sure that the that the grass and the seed get all the nutrition from the water that you've provided, Lord. So God, we pray today that your word will not return void, that our hearts will be stirred, that we will understand all these things we talked about. And even as Paul goes through them, Lord, that we are the same. And Lord, we may not write the New Testament as Paul has done, but Lord, we are writing the book of our life. And Lord, our children are reading it. Our grandchildren are reading it. Our co-workers are reading it. Our neighbors are reading it. And so God, would you help us as we walk this out to have the boldness to fill us with the Spirit of God that we would be bold to proclaim your love, your salvation, and all the goodness that you have for us, God. Thank you for your blessing this morning, God. I pray every person here have a great week. Send them off in your love this morning. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week, I hope. And don't forget, we do have Friends Day coming up on our one-year anniversary, which is September 11th. So you need to bring a friend with you or a few if you'd like. And we're going to have a fellowship meal afterwards. And details for that are coming, okay? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. You know, we would love to invite you to come and visit us in person sometime. If you're ever in our area, you can find us at 415 Union Street in Milton, Delaware, where we have prayer and worship services on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., Bible study on Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., and a Sunday morning worship service at 10.30 a.m. We would love to minister to your children as well. We offer children's church during the adult service. Children are excused to go back to their classes right after the worship time. You can also find more information about us on the web at unionstreetmeetinghouse.org or on Facebook at Union Street Meeting House. So we look forward to sharing the message with you next week. Hope you'll return to this podcast. Thank you so much and God bless you.